If you would please open your Bibles again to Proverbs chapter 6 and 7. Proverbs 6 and 7. My text this morning contains two lessons. You can see them with the two headings, but more specifically with two addresses that a father makes to his son. Notice in chapter 6, verse 20, he says, My son. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, he repeats that address in the second lesson. My son. So, two lessons from the father to the son, but really one topic. The topic of sexual sin. And what this father is really doing is seeking to give his son the key to keep safe from sexual sin. I know you may be wondering, if you've been here over the last few weeks, didn't George just talk about this two weeks ago? Yes, he did. Proverbs 1-9 to talks a lot about the topic of sexual sin and the way to avoid it. The father addresses his son on this topic, specifically the topic of adultery, four times in the course of these nine chapters. In chapter 2, he talks about it very briefly, just a few verses, one stanza, really. And in chapter 5, as George dealt with a couple of weeks ago, he talks about the topic extensively. Now in these last two lectures of the prologue to the book of Proverbs, he ends his lectures with this topic again two times. The end of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. The danger of sexual sin And this father's desire for his son to avoid sexual sin are clearly heavy on this father's heart. Or he wouldn't be talking about it so much. And it is heavy on my heart as well as I address you this morning. Why? Because friends, the danger is very real and it is very relevant for most. Many, if not most, of those of you who are here this morning. If not at this time in your life, at least at some time in your life. My text deals specifically with the sin of adultery. Even more specifically, it deals with the dangers of a man committing adultery with another man's wife. And some of you may think, well, that doesn't apply to me. But while this chapter gives a very concrete and a very specific example, I believe that it also illustrates a very general principle, a principle that could apply to all kinds of people in all kinds 
of situations. You may remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is the specific topic of our passage this morning. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery is a real danger, one that this Father and that God in His Word wants for us to avoid. For men as well as for women to avoid. But so is lust. So is pornography. So is sexting. So are emotional affairs. So is sex or any physically inappropriate activity outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. For most people, At least some of these dangers that I have mentioned are real. Many struggle with sexual sin. Some here this morning are enslaved. So the topic is relevant. And because the danger is so intense, the topic is urgent. For the sake of time, in your attention, I'm not going to deal with both of these lessons, the one in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. I'll deal mainly with the lesson in chapter 7. And I'm going to cover chapter 7 out of order. Chapter 7 contains a vivid story, a story that describes the process of a man committing adultery. A story told by the father to his son that describes the great danger of sexual sin. But before the father tells the story, the father gives his son the moral to the story, so to speak. He tells him why he's telling the story. It's to keep him safe from sexual sin. And he tells him, how to keep safe from sexual sin. My main goal today is to press in to the moral of the story, especially the key to keeping safe from sexual sin. And since that's my main goal, I want to end there. So we're going to begin with the story in verse 6 and spend most of our time there. And then at the end, we will come back to verses 1 to 5. So let's begin by reading verses 6 to 27. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? So the goal that the Father announces in verse 5 is to keep His Son from the forbidden woman. And He says in verse 6, For at the window of My house I have looked through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, 
in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The story highlights the dangers of sexual sin. So much that could be said, but I want to highlight three dangers that I see here. We'll have to wait till the end of the sermon to learn the key to keeping safe from these three dangers, but I will try to offer some counsel along the way. Let's begin with the first danger. Walking in the dark is dangerous. Walking in the dark is dangerous. This comes out in verses 6 to 9. In our story, a familiar story, if you're familiar with Proverbs, who gets most of the press? It's the seductive woman. But it's important to see right up front that this story doesn't begin with the seductive woman. This story begins with a young man. Both of the parties in chapter 7 bear responsibility for what happens. It takes two to tango. Before we're ever introduced to the woman, we're told something critical about this man. He was walking in the dark. Look again at verses 8 to 9. So we reread these verses. I am struck 
that before we're ever introduced to the woman, we basically already know what's going to happen in the story. This young man was passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Do you think the author of this story is piling these descriptors on top of themselves for no reason? No. He is cluing us in to something that is very instructive for us. This young man is described in verse 7 as being simple. Remember what we've learned throughout this series about the simple. They are the uncommitted. They haven't yet decided if they are going to follow the Lord or if they're going to run after the ways of the world. The young man in this story is clearly still deciding, clearly exploring his options. He may not know specifically that this woman lives on this street, but as he's browsing around, he is browsing in the wrong place at the wrong time, and surely he knows that he's flirting with disaster. He's on an evening stroll in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Why? It's as if he wants to find something. Something that will need to be kept secret. Something that will have to be kept from the light of day. Shrouded in darkness. Darkness is conducive to evil because it's not in the light. It's not out in the open. And that's what makes darkness dangerous. Most sexual sin happens in the dark. Sometimes literally at night, of course, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm speaking metaphorically. Most sexual sin happens in secret. Out of sight. Where no one can see. This man is walking around in the dark. In the wrong place. At the wrong time. In our day, he may have been browsing the internet in private mode. While nobody's around. His stroll down the street may have been a scroll through a particular person's social media page that that person surely would not want their spouse or their kids to know about. This is how it starts. Sure, in the verses that follow, we see a professional seductress at work. But before we get to her, we see a guy who's looking for trouble. Either intentionally or out of ignorance, he is still 
engaged in behavior that is conducive to falling. If you're walking in the dark, friends, you're looking for trouble. What part of your life is off the grid? Outside of the view of the people that ought to know what's going on. If any of your life is lived in secret where people don't have access to you, at least the people that ought to have access to you, then you're looking for trouble. If you're living without accountability, you're looking for trouble. If you're living your life in such a way that people don't know what's going on with you, you are looking for trouble. In what area of your life do you need to walk in the light? Do you need an accountability partner? Do you need an internet filter? A reporting software? Or do you simply need deeper relationships with people where you are truly known? If you're walking in the dark, you're looking for trouble. The Scriptures call us to walk in the light as God is in the light so that we can have fellowship with God, but also fellowship with other people. The second danger in this passage is seen in the woman. So the first one, walking in the dark, is seen with the man. Here, the second danger is seen in the woman, although the genders could be flipped. Like I said, a specific example that has broad application. Clearly, her end game is to seduce this man. But the thing that strikes me about her seduction is that it's shot through with deception. And that's the second danger I want to highlight. Deception is dangerous. So walking in the dark is dangerous. Deception is dangerous. We're told that she's dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Wily of heart means her heart was guarded. So, her dress is unguarded. But her heart is guarded. She's revealing a lot of flesh. But she's not revealing her true self. She may give away her body. But she has no intention of giving her heart to this man. All she does is deceptive. The highlight of the story, the emphasis in the story, comes out in her speech. Notice how she begins her speech. I had to offer sacrifices. And today, I've paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. Back in those days, after you made certain sacrifices, you would have had meat left over that you could eat. And eating meat, in those days, was a luxury. So she's basically inviting this man to a feast, appealing not only to his sexual appetite, but also to his stomach. But that's not what stands out to me. What stands out is the deception of it all. Listen to the repetition of the words. I have come out to meet you, to seek you, and I have found 
You. Really? Was she really looking for this young man? The verses right before this tell us that her feet are never at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. Later, at the conclusion of the story, we learn that she has laid low many a victim. She's not looking for this guy. He just happens to be the guy that she's found. She is doing what professional seduction does. It appeals to the ego. And it works with men and with women. It says, where have you been all of my life? You're so handsome. You're so pretty. You're so smart. Or maybe you're such a good listener. I wish my husband listened to me the way that you do. You're the only one who seems to understand me. To respect me. One of our great desires is to be desirable. And when someone taps into that, we are prone to being seduced. It can happen in the office among co-workers. It can happen with the porn star on your computer screen. But either way, it's all a bag of lies. Or at least half-truths. And that leads me to the next part of her deception. She invites him to her bedroom. She gets very direct. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. As one scholar says, the Hebrew here could be paraphrased. Come, let's saturate ourselves with lovemaking in all its forms. Let's enjoy ourselves with every act all night. A clear appeal to pleasure, but deceptive. It's not a complete lie. I want you to get that. But it is a half-truth. There would surely be pleasure involved in going with this woman back to her house. But what she leaves out is that there will also assuredly be pain. There will be consequences. But all temptations, and this woman's temptation in particular, minimizes, even completely hides the consequences. Notice she says, my husband's not home. Oh, and by the way, I mean, he's going to be gone for two weeks. Notice she doesn't say this action that we're going to engage in is right. She simply tries to say, there's no risk. We won't get caught. This won't show up on your credit card statement. 
This won't show up on your browser history. Your mom will never find out. Come on. Let's just give it a try. Professional seduction. Why do I say that? Because this is the very tactic that Satan himself uses in the garden. He will not surely die. That's how all temptation begins. You will not surely die. There won't be any consequences. Seduction says, as long as it's secret, it's safe. But that's not true. It's a deceptive lie. And deception is dangerous. And the reason deception is so dangerous when it comes to sexual sin is because sexual sin is a danger that leads to death. That's the third danger. It's a danger that leads to death. Notice in verse 21 that her speech works. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And then notice what happens next in verses 22 and following. Notice there's no mention of the pleasure because it's fleeting. But there is mention of the pain because it's enduring. And it's a pain that leads to death. There are three metaphors that show what happened to this man. He got hooked, and then he got cooked. He got captured, and then he got killed. All at once, he follows her, caught, hooked, as an ox goes to the slaughter, cooked. As a stag is caught fast, captured, till an arrow pierces its liver, killed. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. In verse 27, the father moves past the metaphors and brings it home to all who will listen. Her house is the way to Sheol, to the grave, going down to the chambers of death. When Proverbs speaks of life and death, it speaks comprehensively, not just physically. Remember what Satan said? You will not surely die. And after they committed sin, did they fall down dead physically? No. But did they die? You better believe that they died in all kinds of ways. And then eventually they did die physically as well. Immorality can lead to physical death and disease. And purity, generally speaking, may prolong your life. But 
when Proverbs speaks of life and death, it generally has quality of life in mind more than length of life. We were meant to live an abundant life in right relationship with God and with other people. We were meant to live an abundant life spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, in every way. And when we walk in wisdom, according to God's ways, generally speaking, we experience abundant life. But when we give in to seduction and sin, specifically here, sexual immorality, we forfeit the blessings of abundant life and experience death. The wages of sin are death. The father in Proverbs, this is a wonderful parenting moment. He doesn't simply tell his son what to do and what not to do. He also paints a vivid picture of the good life and the bad life. He not only says sexual sin is wrong, he also says it will hurt you really badly. He says, yes, he tells the truth. There will be pleasure. But that pleasure will be trumped by pain. The consequences of the sin. Consequences that sometimes feel literally like death and consequences that leave a lasting mark. How many parents who have engaged in sexual sin at some point in their life want their children to know the real consequences the lasting marks that this type of sin can leave on them. How many have wounded their relationship with God and others because of an addiction to pornography or to just keeping sin secret for a long time? How many homes have been wrecked by adultery? How many churches have been crippled by the moral failure of a leader How many have been scarred and shamed because of past relationships or because of abuse? How many children born out of wedlock have to be raised in a home without a father or even worse, aborted? Sexual sin leads to death. The evidence is clear. Don't be deceived. The father in Proverbs 7 wants to paint this picture. He wants to accurately describe the dangers of immorality. But that's not his primary goal. His primary goal is to provide his son with the key to safety from sexual sin. And he does that at the very beginning of his lecture. So let's now turn to the moral of the story at the beginning. I'm going to read the first five verses. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you, 
Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So what's the key to keeping away from the forbidden woman's seductive words? What's the key to keeping from these words of seduction? It's to keep the Father's words of instruction. The way to avoid death is to keep God's commandments and live. He calls the Son to bind these commandments on His fingers and to write them on the tablet of His heart. The reference to His fingers may be a reference, just to put it very simply, to keeping His memory verses with Him. But the goal of the Father is that those memory verses would move past His head, past His recollection of what He learned as a child, that they would move into His heart. It's like Psalm 119 that Lucas read earlier. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to Your Word. I have hidden Your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It's all about the heart. There's a clear call to not desire sexual sin in your heart. Look at verse uh, chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. The same in chapter 7, verse 25. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. But the key to safety from sexual sin, the key to not desiring sexual sin in your heart is to hide God's Word in your heart. Look at chapter 6, verse 21. Bind the commandments on your heart, always. Chapter 7, verse 3. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Instead of finding satisfaction in sin, we are called to find satisfaction in God as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. God's Word has to get into your heart. Do you want to sin less? Then you need to love God more. If you are going to love God more, then you need to know God better. If you are going to get to know God better, His Word has to go deeper into your heart. I read a great article this week that somebody sent me from the Gospel Coalition that gets to the heart of this issue of the heart. In the 80s and 90s, the article says the war on drugs was in full swing and the federal government put a lot of money into anti-drug campaigns. What was the campaign that really stuck? The just say no campaign. 
At the same time, in the evangelical world, there was a purity movement, and its message was very similar to the Just Say No campaign. It was true love waits. A needed message in a world that was living in the wake of the sexual revolution. It called young people and old people alike, but young people in particular, to look away from sexual sin. The challenge is, the True Love Waits movement didn't tell us what to look toward. Proverbs 7 does something different. It not only tells us what to avoid, it tells us what to pursue. It not only tells us what to say no to, it also tells us what to say yes to. This is the key to keeping safe from sexual sin. Here's the key. To keep safe from sexual sin, we have to get intimate with God's Word. If we're going to avoid satisfaction in sin, we have to find satisfaction in God. Look at verse 4. This is where I get this language of intimacy. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. The word sister here is not likely language referring to a sibling. It's likely language referring to a lover. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say, You, this is the husband speaking to his wife, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. The father wants his son to stay away from intimacy with the forbidden woman. And the way he'll do that is by getting intimate with wisdom like a man would get intimate with his wife. More specifically, to get intimate with God's Word. And the whole point of getting intimate with God's Word is so that we would come to know God Intimately. That's the key to keeping safe from sexual sin. Proverbs 5. One of the strategies of keeping away from sexual immorality was to pursue a healthy relationship with your spouse. But Proverbs 7 gives us a strategy that applies not only to married people, but also to single people. We pursue a healthy relationship with God. If we want to sin less, we need to love God more. If we want to love God more, we need to know Him better. If we're going to get to know Him better, His Word has to go deeper in our heart. We come to know God as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And when we come to know Him as He has revealed Himself in His Word, we come to see His great love for us. In fact, we come to see that He loved us so much 
that He sent His Son to die for us. To die for our sins. And get this. To die even for the sin of sexual immorality. Friends, do you know that if you have committed sexual sin, that there is forgiveness for you at the cross? If you will confess your sin and look to Jesus in faith, He is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the love of God. And when we come to grasp the love of God in our hearts, we will in turn love God with all of our hearts. And when we love God, we will want to obey His commands because we will come to see that His commands are not a burden. They are actually the way to live an abundant life. 1 Corinthians 6 drives this point home. Paul says to the Corinthians who are clearly facing the temptation of sexual sin, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. We're meant to have intimate fellowship with Jesus, not the forbidden woman or the forbidden man. Paul goes on to say, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord. Therefore, flee sexual immorality. The key to fleeing sexual immorality is to run to Jesus. We are, if we are in Christ, we are of one spirit with Him. We have union with Christ that's even greater than the union between a man and a woman. As believers, we are called to live into that union by seeking communion with Christ. And the way to pursue communion with Christ is through God's Word. We treasure His Word. We keep His Word and live. We write it on the tablet of our heart. We come to learn the satisfaction that is found in living in a relationship with Him. That is the key to keeping safe from sexual sin. Psalm 16.11 says it this way, You make known to me in Your Word the path of life, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to treasure Christ in our heart. That's what we need. But we know that while You call us to meditate on Your Word, to read Your Word, to memorize Your Word, that unless You, by Your Spirit, impress upon our hearts Your great love for us, that we won't get it. So help us to get it. So that we can be safe from sin and satisfied 
in your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.